want to speak to you this, this morning. I want to preach and teach on the one who endures, the one who endures to the end. This, uh, this text in, in Mark chapter 13, if you, you want to open up your Bibles to Mark the 13th chapter, we're going to look at verses uh, 3 through uh, 13 this morning, has to do with questions about the end of the age and the coming of Christ. There's a lot of information out there about Jesus coming. This is, uh, this is the blessed hope of the church that we believe that the scripture clearly teaches that Christ is returning again, physically, literally, in the heavens. The same way that he went is the same way that he is uh, going to return. This is what we're looking for. Now, we live in a day and an age when many are not looking for this. Even, even the church has, has grown weak in its, in its thinking about the return of Christ, the fact that Christ could come back at any hour. This is what, we, this is what our great hope is. So we say, Jesus, will you come today? Lord, we're expecting, we're looking for your return in, in our lifetime. I remember as a, as a child thinking, well, the Lord hopefully is going to come back in, in, in my lifetime. That way we don't have to worry about dealing with funerals. The funerals of uh, grandparents and especially parents and brothers and sisters and, and close friends in the faith. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Christ comes back. We don't have to worry about burying any more people. A genuine hope. Not just we read this and don't believe in this. Listen, if you don't believe in this, you're not a Christian. And if this is not exciting you, it's time to, to check your heart. If this is something that you don't think about or you don't really expect or you don't really think Christ is coming back again. Now, what's the whole point of Christianity? And so we need to be asking the Lord to stir up our hearts, saying, Lord, you could come back at any hour, and, and Lord, I'm going to be standing before you giving an account for my life before uh, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the majestic one. I'm going to be at your feet, kneeling before you. Come, come, Lord Jesus. That's our prayer. We, we expect this, this moment in time. Now, there are many people who are uh, expecting a secret return of Christ. And there are many within the church. It's uh, part of what is called uh, dispensational uh, theology. And the teaching is that there's going to be this secret rapture, that this is what we're waiting for. This is where we get the whole uh, Left Behind series, as one writer Put it, it's time to leave behind, left behind. How true that is. But the notion is that when Christ comes, it's going to be the secret thing. There's going to be airplanes crashing. All of a sudden, millions of Christians are going to disappear from the earth. And then there's going to be seven years of tribulation. So you have, uh, you have three and a half pretty good years of, uh, of peace, and then after that, all of a sudden, there's three and a half years where all hell breaks loose. And of course, this is associated with the Antichrist. 
And so uh, unbelievers and uh, those who have been left here are all trying to get through this, this time. And then after that, uh, because during this time in this seven years, we're all in heaven partying with the Lord and uh, hanging out with Christ. And then after seven years, the teaching is that Christ comes again. So there's really two comings. You have the secret, retur or the, the, the secret return of Christ where we all disappear with him for seven years. And then he returns again with the saints where everybody sees him. And yet the Bible is very clear that there is, listen, there is one visible return of Christ. For those who are waiting for a secret coming, they are going to be sorely disappointed. People say, well, I'm not going to have to worry about the world getting that bad because after all, Christ is going to come and he's going to rescue me from all this. He's going to whisk us away for that seven-year party in the sky and then we can come back with him seven years. That's not taught in Scripture. In fact, for uh, 1,800 years, the church did not teach that. There was a man named John Nelson Darby who came along in the 1800s and he's the one who really developed this whole system of where you have this secret rapture and uh, then you have uh, the the tribulation and the antichrist and then you actually have the the physical appearing of christ where everybody sees him but what we're waiting for is this one appearing of christ when christ comes back that's it there's no there's no second coming this is what we're looking forward to. We're saying, come, Lord Jesus, not come in a secret time, in a secret rapture, but Lord, come visibly. In fact, the Bible says when he comes, he's going to come visibly and he's going to come loudly and we're all going to see him and believers are going to meet him in the air to then return to earth. There's no this secret going away on this, on this vacation that's unknown. And so there's a lot of teaching about this that talks about this secret coming, but the Bible is very clear. There's, there's one coming, and it's the coming that we're waiting for. The next thing on the prophetic timeline is the return of Christ, the fact that he is going to come for his beloved. He's going to come for those who believe in him, and those who don't believe in him are going to suffer an awful, awful fate. And Jesus was very clear that this coming, this specific time, the hour of his coming is not known. So for all of those who have uh, decoder rings and secret timelines, it's very exciting. There are people who can stand up and they open up the newspaper and they say, well, this is what's going on in this nation. And this is what's taking place in this nation. Sounds all very exciting. So this must mean that the return of Christ is going to happen within the next two or three years. And all sorts of people have set different dates and people have tried to look through the scriptures to try to find certain numbers that fit together. And if we can simply figure out the secret code, then we can figure out exactly when Christ is going to return. There are many who are following this kind, of, uh, this kind of teaching. They're going after teachers that will help them understand. It's, it's very exciting. It's very thrilling to think about, well, who's the Antichrist? Let's figure out who it is, and then we can put all this in the prophetic picture, and we can actually determine when Christ is going to come back. 
Jesus was very specific. If you go over to Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, verse 7, Acts chapter 1, verse 7, Acts chapter 1, verse 7. And now while we're turning there, let's just reemphasize this. What we're waiting for is the sole appearance, the only appearance of Christ. When we talk about his second coming, it's really his second coming. It's not his third coming. He came the first time and he's coming back a second time. There was the first coming where he comes as the meek lamb who lays his life down for the sins of the world. The second time he comes, he's coming as the ruling king of kings and lord of lords to rule as king over the nations. And he says this in Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He said to, you, to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. So he's very specific here. He's telling the disciples, you're not going to know. So anybody, listen, anybody who comes along and says we can know or we can get it down to within 10 years or we can get it to within five years or we can figure out perhaps maybe it's even this year is, um, is well, let's go theological, theological is um, cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> and there are, there are a lot of people who think like this. So if, if a person comes along and says, we can figure out the date, we can figure out the time, they are going directly against what our Lord Jesus Christ said to his own apostles. And it's amazing how we don't listen to the apostles. Jesus comes along, the, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, and he says, this is the way it is. And people come along and say, well, Jesus really had a secret message and we can figure it out. All we have to do is uh, turn on the internet and uh, maybe 9-11 meant something. It's a, so if we only understood the secrets of 9-11, surely we could figure out the return of Christ. Jesus comes along and says very clearly, it's not for you to know. The disciples were very interested in knowing. Can we tell exactly when the Lord is, is going to come back? Now, as we look at Mark chapter 13, we're going to look at the next verses over the next three weeks. And if we had an outline, we could, uh, we could take these different chunks of verses and label them under different headings to help us understand what Jesus is talking about. Now, in this week uh, today, we're going to look at verses 3 through 13, where Jesus is talking about ongoing circumstances throughout the time before Christ's return. So in these verses that, um, that we're going to look at, that we're going to read, that we're going to uh, go through here today, all of these different things... All of these different events that Jesus is talking about, listen carefully, are ongoing circumstances. They're ongoing events. It's not just one time it's going to happen, but it's going to happen over and over again. And as we go through this text of Scripture, 
you're going to see what this means. So verses 3 through 13, you have ongoing circumstances throughout the time before Christ's return. That's chunk number one or section number one. Next week, verses 14 through 22, Jesus talks about the starting point of this prophecy. When do all these things begin? Jesus is saying that these things are going to start and they're going to continue. But when do they start? That's what's going to be answered next week in verses 14 through 22. Then in the third week, we're going to preach and teach about sudden events, literal, literal sudden events that happen immediately preceding his return. That's verses 24 through 27. So there are going to be some events that are just ongoing events that happen in the age before he returns. There's a starting point to this prophecy when these things will actually begin and have indeed begun. And then there are events that will happen suddenly and quickly within an hour or two before the Lord actually appears. Sudden, quick, cataclysmic events. And so there are certain things that happen over a span of time. There's a starting point to when they began. And then right before the Lord comes back, there's going to be some awesome events that take place. This is why the Bible clearly teaches the imminent return of Christ. This means that he could return at any hour. So for the person who says, well, there are certain events that uh, can't take uh, place right now. They have to take place later on in the future. So that means the Lord couldn't really return today. They're going against the words of Scripture because Jesus said, you don't know the hour at which the Son of Man returns. He could return this hour. So there are events that will take place right before he returns. This is... Um, this is joyous uh, stuff as we talk about this. To think about the fact that we have entered into a relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ who came 2,000 years ago. We are connected with him today by the power of the Holy Spirit. He's with us. He's with us. The same Jesus, as we're reading through this text, you think about all the people that read these verses down through 2,000 years. And they were just as fresh and they were just as relevant as they are to us today. And so we're excited because we say as believers, the Lord's coming. He's coming. And we need to know him. Listen, he's coming. And if you're not ready, if you're seated here this morning and you're in, the, in this whole, whole crowd that says, well, we can't really know. and There's no real way to God. And we, you know, just it's all clouds and you're fuzzy on everything. It's time to get clear this morning. Because Christ is coming. And it's time to bend the knee to Christ, to the living Lord, and say, Lord, I cry out to you. It's doing business with God. It's coming to God. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a preacher to experience God. You don't need your mama or your Aunt Cindy or Sue or whoever she may be or, or great-grandma to get connected to God. You don't need a priest. You don't need a rabbi. You don't even need dear old dad. All you need is the Holy Spirit. And you need to find a place 
We say, Lord, you're coming back. I'm going to stand before you. I'm going to stand before you. And uh, to think about our life as we say, Lord, you're coming. I, I know you now. It's not going to be I'm surprised at who you are because you've already given me the Holy Spirit and I've experienced the power of God. You're a familiar face, even though I've never seen you in the flesh. So the disciples, though, they can't get themselves off this whole idea of, Lord, what are the signs? We've just been talking about the temple. And in their mind, when the, the temple was destroyed, it was going to be the, the very end of time. So they come to Jesus, and they're thinking about this whole thing. Jesus says, they say, hey, Jesus, look at these stones. Aren't these stones? They're huge. One stone that they have found uh, today weighs at least 570 tons. I read one commentator say even the modern cranes could not lift it. These are massive stones. Look at these beautiful stones. Jesus says, yep, these buildings are pretty neat. The temple is beautiful, but it's all coming down. That's where, that's where we left off last week. It's all coming down. Coming down to the ground, uh, in fact, that's exactly what happened in 70 AD. And they're thinking to themselves, well, if it's coming down, surely the end of the age is coming very quickly. Surely, Jesus, you're going to wrap all of this up in, in your lifetime, and we're going to rule, and we're going to reign with you. And so they come to Jesus. There's four of them. There's four disciples. If you go with me now to Mark chapter 13. Mark chapter 13, verse 3. Now he sits on the, the Mount of Olives. He has now left the, the temple area. Jesus has been teaching in the temple. This is now getting toward the end of Tuesday. They're going to head over the, the Mount of Olives, the Olivet Discourse. The Mount of Olives is to the east of Jerusalem. They're going to head up over the mountain and then down to where uh, Lazarus and Martha and Mary live. We've talked about the towns of Bethany and Bethpage. But before they do, they, they get onto this, uh, to this mountain, the western slope of it. It's across the Kidron Valley. They're looking, overlooking Jerusalem. As they're on this hill, they have this beautiful view of the temple. And Jesus has just said that the the temple is going to be destroyed. And now he sits down to teach them again. And four of the disciples come to him. And he sat, verse 3, Mark chapter 13. He sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. So there they are, seated on the Mount of Olives. They're overlooking. They can see the temple. If you've ever been on a mountain or on a, on a high hill and you can overlook a, a, a beautiful scene, whether it's a valley or other hills or the buildings down below. This is what they're doing. So he sits down on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple and Peter and James and John and Andrew, the brothers, they come to the Lord and they ask him privately. Now they want in. They want to in on when is all of this going to take place. 
Jesus said the temple's coming down. They think, okay, the temple's coming down. That must mean the Messianic age is about to begin. You're going to come in and present yourself as the Messiah. And they ask him in verse 4, tell us when these things will be. So they ask him two questions. When will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus is about to stretch out the timeline. It's not just when the temple is demolished that the end of the age stops. He's going to explain some things, but he's not going to explain things to their complete satisfaction because as we see in Acts chapter 1, they're still asking him about what is going on. If you go back to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, And as he sat, this is a parallel text, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Now we know which ones they were. Saying, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? Now, we're, they're not thinking of coming like we think of coming. They're thinking of him coming in power as, as the Messiah. They're not thinking thousands of years later, when are you going to come in the sky and all that. They're just thinking, Lord, when are you going to present yourself? When are you going to appear? Lord, we thank you for all the miracles and all the things that you've been doing. But Lord, we want to see you come in power. We want to see you set up your throne. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? Lord, when, when are you going to come as the Messiah? When, when are you going to come? When is this age going to, to wrap up? Now, what Jesus begins to answer with are things that are going to happen throughout the entire age. These are ongoing circumstances throughout the entire age before he comes. Now notice verse 5 of Mark chapter 13. He says this, And he began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. So what is he saying? He's saying, for the whole age before his return, there's going to be false teachers. And he's saying, be careful. If, if you're going to live in this age before his return, the first thing you're going to have to be on the lookout for are people who come and say, I'm the Messiah. And if they don't say, I'm the Messiah, they say, I have a new way. I have a better way. I have a better spiritual way to God. I have a new path that you can... Uh, that you can follow. You don't need Christ. He's kind of the old way. 2,000 years ago, dusty old book. You really believe in a book like this? We have, we have the new path, the spiritual path, and you don't even need this. Jesus is saying, beware. Beware those who come, because for the whole age before he returns, there's going to be false Christ and false teachers and false messiahs on the horizon. And they might come in ways that we don't expect. A.T. Robertson says this, On this morning, as I am writing, 
a prominent English psychologist, has challenged the world to radio communication with Mars. Asserting, this English psychologist, asserting that he has made frequent trips to Mars and communicated with its alleged inhabitants, false Christs. It's amazing today how many people are enamored with aliens. Now, now you say, well, that's ridiculous, that's absurd. Oh, no, no, these are sophisticated people. See, when you do away with Christ, you get false messiahs. And so what happens is people come along and they say, well, surely we don't believe the Bible. We don't believe Jesus is the only way. We don't believe him. He's going to really return. No, no, there's got to be other universes out there. And if we can only tune our radio signals well enough, perhaps we can hear them and talk to them. Perhaps they'll even come from outer space and save us all. Multiverse, multi-universes, this is what we're hearing. There is no God. Who knows what's out there? Perhaps there's other, other people even or other creatures out there who'd like to communicate with us. Listen, this is false teaching. False. It's wrong. It's heresy. And many are going for it. We live in an age of science, an age of science. We've bypassed this stuff. We don't, we don't need to listen to us. this stuff. We're, we're the smart people. We're the educated people. Surely we're going, to, um, we're going to find the answer without Christ. How do you break through this stuff? Lawrence uh, Krauss, not too long ago, came out with a book. He said, it's actually possible to get a universe from nothing. And then he goes on to explain nothing as a little something. People go, oh, yeah, that's really good. That's good stuff. False Christs. The preachers who say you don't really need the blood of Jesus to wash away your sins. The death of Christ. You don't need the death of Christ. That's bloody. That's gory. God's a God of love. And listen all about forgiveness and he just accepts everybody as they are there's no judgment with god there's no condemnation with god let's get out of that and let's get into an atmosphere where we just all accept each other with the lifestyles that we want to choose this is darkness it's darkness it's darkness you know how many Christian, supposedly Christian churches we are hearing caving on the moral issues of the day? Listen, this whole thing with the transgender bathroom is crazy. It's crazy. We're talking about women's rights. What about little girls in bathrooms with grown men? Where are the women's rights? But we go along with it because we say, we say to ourselves, well, 
you know, we're, we're in a new day. Who are we to say? Who are, who are we to judge? And Jesus comes along and he says, listen, this, this whole age, this whole age, listen, it's going to be ongoing. It's not just one little chunk of time, but it's this whole age is going to have false teachers. And the Bible says that they're going to increase over time. So where it started with Christ and his ascension, over time there's more false teachers, more false movements, more godless movements against the Lord and against his Christ. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 13. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 13 says this. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. You see it there? They're going from bad and going to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. You can see in context, verse 1 there is, but in the last days. So in the last days, there's an increase, there's a continued increase over this entire age of false teachers and false messiahs. So Jesus says, first thing you ought to watch out for before he returns are those who preach and teach falsity, lies. But then he talks about the turbulent world before he returns. Look at verse 7 and 8 of um, Mark 13. Verse 7, And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but is not the end. So Jesus is comforting his disciples. He's saying... You expect me to return or come in power right away to to show myself as the Messiah right away. But listen, before all this happens, there's going to be during this whole age, wars and rumors of wars. And how many wars have we had down through the centuries? This is exactly what we hear today in this time that we live in. Constant turmoil, constant threats of wars. What nation is going to go to war with what nation, what group against what group. Verse eight, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be, there will be famines. Now we all know where we get food from, the grocery store. But beyond the grocery store are farms and an agrarian society where um, actual food is grown. And Jesus says in this whole age there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and there's going to be famines. From 2010 to 2012 in Somalia, a little nation in, um, in eastern Africa near Ethiopia, there were... Uh, 260,000 people died in a famine just 
several years ago. In 1992, 220,000 people died. How easy do we have it? We want a meal, we jump in our car, and we head to the local grocery store, and we pick out whatever we want. Whatever meal we want, we can, we can get the ingredients for it. But Jesus says this whole age of, uh, of these circumstances happening will continue on before he comes he says this, these are but the beginning of the birth pains. So when a woman is giving birth, she begins to get those contractions. And at first, they're in, this is what I'm told, I've never had them. And uh, so they're, they're not as painful and they're more spread apart. And over time, the, the contractions get closer and closer together and, and uh, more and more painful, and pretty soon you have <laughs> breathing that thing out. And Jesus is saying, look, uh, these things are going to continue throughout this age, but they're going to increase in their intensity. They're going to increase in their constancy. These are but the beginning of birth pains. And he says this, be on the guard. So you have false messiahs, you have a turbulent world, and then you have persecution. Be on the guard, he says, for they will deliver you over to the councils. The word councils there actually means is the same word for Sanhedrins. These are little councils in the synagogue where a person who would be tried would be actually tried in the local synagogue. Sometimes there was, there was at least seven judges in bigger towns with with men of a hundred or more in the, in the city who would have 23 judges. But if things got bad enough, they would take you into the synagogue and they would beat you. 39 lashes. So they would strip you from the top to the waist so you're bare. And if, you have, uh, if you've blasphemed or said something that they deem to be heretical, they turn you over so that your front is exposed, and they were instructed to hit you with this whip as hard as they could. And so they would whip the person 13 times on their front. Wham! As hard as they could, 13 times on the front. Then they would turn the person over and hit him 26 times in the back on his bare back. So Jesus says, if you're going to follow him in this age, beware of persecution. This is what he is telling his, his disciples. You're going to go into the synagogues, into these places of worship, these places of instruction. You will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. That's exactly what the apostles would do. Regal, strong, for the name of Christ, they would go into these small Sanhedrins. And of course, there was the main Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the land. And these people would stand there and they would not deny the name of Christ. And Jesus says, you're going to be persecuted. Look with me at uh, Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 41. Acts chapter 5. 
Go back to verse 40. Notice this, Acts chapter 5, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. Isn't this exactly what Jesus had promised to his apostle? They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then let them go. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Isn't that beautiful? To suffer dishonor for the name. The name of who? The name of Christ. This is what Jesus promised. You're going to follow me. You're going to go through hard times. He says they're going to drag you into the synagogues and they're going to beat you. You're going to stand before governors, and they did. They stood before governors and kings. You think of Paul standing there with all the boldness of the Holy Spirit as he would proclaim the gospel to the leaders of that day. And Jesus says, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. So the gospel has to be proclaimed to all nations before he returns. This has continued to happen. In fact, in Colossians, if you go over to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, you say, well, don't we have to wait to the very end for all this to happen? Doesn't the gospel still need to go to the ends of the earth? Yes, it does, but it's been doing so from the very beginning of, of time. Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. Paul says, which has come to you as, in, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit. There it is, in the whole world. He says, in that time, in the whole known world, the gospel was going forward and growing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace in truth. Look at verse 23, same chapter. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation. There it is, all creation under heaven of which I, Paul, became a minister. So we say, does the gospel still need to go to the ends of the earth? Yes. But the gospel has been going to the ends of the earth since Jesus proclaimed, go in my name. And they will bring you to trial, verse 11 of Mark 13, and deliver you over. And do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. So he says, when you're being persecuted and when you stand before these councils, don't worry about what you're going to say. You don't need an outline? Well, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know the answer to that question. Do you stand before these people who do not love the Lord? The Holy Spirit in you will give you the words to speak. And so as they question you, you say, Holy Spirit, I'm relying on you. I don't know the answers that I'm going to give, but God, I'm relying on you. And he says, in that moment, the Holy Spirit will speak through you on your behalf. Now notice this, what happens. The persecution even gets worse. It's not just from synagogues, and it's not just as they stand before governors and kings. But he says this in verse 12. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. 
and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Jesus says the last form of persecution is your family. So you have all these things taking place through the age, repetitive. And there are people who are going to have to make decisions to stand for Christ in the face of family members who don't believe that. Are you listening? There are going to be family members who are saying, what are you doing? We don't believe that. And the Christian is going to have to make decisions that say, I'm going to follow Christ and not mom. If mom is saying things that are leading the family astray, if she's asking things that are not in concert and in line with the scripture, then we go with Jesus, not mom. If dad is asking us to do things, he says, you don't need Jesus. And if you think these aren't big decisions, they are. There's people all around the world who are making these kind of decisions. They know if, if, I, if I lay my life down for the Lord in this day and age, my mom and my dad are going to disown me. That's happening even now. And in the age in which we live, it's happening here in America. It's, it's not as brutal yet, but it's coming. You can't follow the Lord like that in our family. Children so rebellious saying, Mom, Dad, if you do that, we're going to deliver you over. We're going to deliver you over to the authorities and they can take your life. That's fine with us. We just don't want you following the Lord. Decisions are going to have to be made. Who are we going to follow? And this is what Jesus is saying. All these things that he's talking about persecution, wars, rumors of wars, famines, all these things are going to be ongoing and they're going to escalate over time. This whole age is going to consist of these things before his return. And it's not easy. It's not easy. Do you know how many people we've even seen here who say, Lord, I'm going to follow you, and all of a sudden, somebody gets in their ear and they begin to get pulled away. Well, I don't know if I really want to follow the Lord that much. Persecution, the pressures of life, food, all of these things that are happening, Jesus is saying, these are going to take place. Don't be surprised. This is what's going to happen in the entire age before he returns. But he says this. This is the whole point of what he's saying. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's the point. It's not a salvation by works, but it's if you have really been born again, if the Holy Spirit really lives in you and has clinched your heart, you just love Jesus, and you say, I'm so weak. It's a good prayer to pray. Lord, I don't have the strength to do this. I don't have the strength. God, you got to give me the strength. It's not just saying, oh, Lord, I've got it. I've got the verses. I'm going to go out and do it. It's, Lord, I can't do this. Lord, I don't know how to stand up to family. I don't know how to. Lord, I, all this stuff that's happening in the world, it's constantly crazy. Lord, I would rather just say, you know what? Let's just leave the church, stick my hand, head in the sand. Let's be done with all of this. And Jesus comes along and he says, no, no, you rely on him. But the one who has been given the Holy Spirit, 
There's a strength of endurance that says we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going through this whole age, through this whole life. And listen, listen, it's not over until we're dead. Not over. The whole idea of after a few years, everything's just going to get real easy. Oh no, there's ups and there's downs in life. The one who endures to the end will be saved. It's a race for all of life. And so Jesus, when they say, when are all these things going to happen? Lord, tell us about your coming. Tell us about the end of the age. Jesus doesn't give three specific things. Say, now, on this date, this is going to happen. And when you see this exact event happen, then you know I'm going to return at 6.30. He doesn't do that. He says, I want you to be on the lookout for me. I could appear at any hour. And I want you to endure. I want you to endure. And there are some in this room here today that need to hear a word of endurance. You want to give up. You're just tired. You're just like, I'm just tired of all the stuff in my life. And I thought following Jesus was going to make it all easy and all go away. And all it's done is make my life a lot harder. And Jesus comes along and says, that's exactly what I promised you. So beware of the false Christ who comes along and says, if you believe Jesus, everything's going to get easy. Because that's a false message. Beware. But if someone comes to you and echoes the words of Christ and says, it's going to get hard in your life. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. That's echoing. That's the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we hang on to. And we follow the one who endured all the way to the end and said this. And we close with this. He said, it is finished. And until the Lord comes back, and until the Lord comes back, or we are breathing our last breath, we are not able to say it is finished. It's only when we are giving up the ghost or it's only when the Lord appears in glory that one time that we're able to say, my life is finished. It's finished. That's when true rest comes. That's Sabbath rest. That's what we're looking forward to. Would you stand with me as we close in a word of prayer?